If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Welcome to part two of Choosing a Church. In the last episode, we explored biblical teachings on the plan of God and the development of the kingdom of God. We explored how God uses our conscience to help us regulate the way we live. We also read that a Christian church should preach the doctrine of salvation as forgiveness of sin. As we continue to study the Christian religion, part two is going to focus on some more Bible basics about what to look for in a Christian church, specific to water baptism and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Luke 16, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. We read here that the law and the prophets were until John. John the Baptist was a really popular person with the common people. Not so much anyone in power at the time. Let's read about baptism and John's purpose in Matthew chapter 3. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is one of the first rituals that Jesus established. Jesus was already completely pure, the ultimate example of godly living. And he said that it becometh righteousness to observe water baptism. The New Testament authors, such as Peter and the author of the book of Hebrews, give us some context as what water baptism means and how to perform it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And 1 Peter 3, 21 the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a description here of full immersion. It says, our bodies washed in Hebrews chapter 10. There is also no record in the Bible of infants being baptized. Baptism is a sign of being dead to sin, risen with Christ and a testimony to all watching that your conscience is clean before God. Baptism of itself is not salvation. Jesus didn't need to get saved. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 that we read called it a like figure, a symbol, a sign. So the story continues on. Jesus began his ministry somewhere about that time and had a bunch of miracles, signs, and wonders, He walked on water, he healed people, and he made a bunch of people really happy and a bunch of other people really mad. He turned water into wine, a basket of food into many baskets of food, cast out evil spirits, healed people, and raised dead people to life again, the most famous being Lazarus. He started to show people that this was a spiritual kingdom not the physical kingdom that the Jews hoped for. They wanted him to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up the Israel nation. But that wasn't God's plan. Instead, Jesus set up something way better. He taught about moral values, like hatred has the same consequence as actually murdering someone. Lust, the same as actually committing the act. He was a role model of purity, holiness, love, joy, faith, temperance, and 
actually gave power to his believers to have the same attributes. Another thing he taught about was living water that will flow from the inside of a believer's heart, speaking of the Holy Ghost. And we've read one scripture about this already, Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So story time again. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven. He spends time preparing his disciples for continuing the work of the kingdom of God after he leaves. Their first instruction is to stick around in the city of Jerusalem until a comforter comes. In Acts chapter 2, we read about an account of them being in a room worshiping together in one accord, which means no disputing or argumentation, and they were agreeing together, fellowshipping together, and a noise like a mighty rushing wind and some type of energy that looked like fire above each of their heads. And then they were filled with the Holy Ghost and could speak with other languages. In the New Testament, the sound of rushing wind and the visual manifestation of fire only happened this one time. In later chapters, 8, 10, 15, 19, and many other places, the Holy Ghost enters into other Christians who were already believers. The apostles would find a believer, and the question is asked, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? The answer was typically, no, we have not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And that conversation happens over and over. We are taught that this is literally the presence of God inside you. God is extremely particular about where he makes his habitation. The people who receive the Holy Ghost are individuals who already meet the conditions that God would accept. Let's read more about this. John chapter 14, 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. We know that the blood of Christ cleans us from all past committed sins. That's the Bible doctrine about salvation. But there are many, many scriptures about receiving the Holy Ghost, or Another way to it would be the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Truth, or a Comforter. And these scriptures teach about another cleansing, and a Christian church should preach of this, and it is often called sanctification, or being sanctified. Romans 12, 1-3, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Let's dig into what Romans 12, 1 through 3 is talking about. First one mentions a sacrifice. God always wanted a sacrifice, and he wanted it done right. You can go back to Genesis chapter 4 and ask Cain how that went for him when he tried to cook up his own recipe. Genesis 4, 5 through 7, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. 
And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So things are different now in the New Testament, and the sacrifice we give isn't a spotless lamb or a turtle dove anymore, but the intention of a sacrifice hasn't been removed. God wants everything, our time, our money, our future, our purpose on earth. Romans 12 verse 1 teaches us that it is reasonable. This is not something strange. It's like breathing fresh air, basic human rights, getting a good education, living within our means. And verse 2 adds some color. It says, be not conformed to this world. Well, what does that mean? Basically, God has commandments that need to be kept, and the world doesn't want to keep these commandments. They want to pursue religion on their own terms. There is a value system that regulates things so that our worship continues to be acceptable to God. Verse 3 talks about the amount of faith that we had addressed in session one. Just by making a decision to believe the words the Bible is teaching, or not believe these words, is putting to use that faith, or not putting it to use by practicing unbelief. And it's your free will to do either of those things. There are many scriptures about sanctification, and there's more than one way to learn how the Bible teaches the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Romans 8 and Galatians 5 explains why it's important and how it works. Some definitions here before we go and read, we'll see a comparison of flesh versus spirit. And this is sort of the main theme about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We live a very physical life and do things all the time that have nothing to do with heaven. In general, the basics of life. We use our body as a tool to get all of this done, and our body's a vessel which houses our soul. Our body has a ton of biologic impulses that have nothing to do with heaven or our soul, but are just useful in terms of living a successful life. These feelings, attitudes, emotions, etc. can interfere with our soul getting to heaven. The word flesh isn't really talking about muscle, bone, and tissues, but in a way it is. It's inclusive of anything that's not related to spiritual ideas and goals. Also here in Romans chapter 8, there's a reference to a law, and a law is simply a list of rules. If there was no list of rules, there could be no rule breaker. And under the Old Testament, there was a list of rules, and there were a lot of rule breakers. The bigger the list, the more ways there are to be a rule breaker. A list of rules can't make anybody obey them. And the Jews constantly struggled with trying to remember and obey all 600 plus rules. So let's read Romans chapter 8 and hear what the Bible has to say about living after the flesh. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, 
condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Okay, that was a lot. Obviously, there's a spiritual life that is just plainly not there without the Holy Spirit. And there's not a way to obey God and the law of the Spirit without the Holy Spirit. It can't be done. There's a calling to move on past salvation to be set aside for God's purpose and plan and purging of carnality by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So story time again. The Apostle Paul wrote several letters to the churches that were in existence after Jesus ascended to heaven. Paul was motivated to do this because after he worked very hard to establish believers in a particular area, he had to leave and perform evangelical work elsewhere. But then he started to get reports about misbehavior and problems in those churches. So he wrote some letters to help them understand that their human condition was getting in the way of effectually working for God. And it was actually a shame and a reproach for them to act like that and still call themselves Christians. In his letter to the church in Galatia, he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? And then later on pointed out that their problem was about their carnal nature. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. <laughs> wow, sounds like a pretty comprehensive list of attributes that are extremely useful in determining if someone is motivated by God or not. Don't just gloss over this scripture, because when you are choosing a church to go to, that church needs to align. This is Bible. 
Does the church preach that if a married man or woman break their marriage vows, then it's adultery and a sin? Does the church preach against fornication and promote abstinence until marriage? What about against living a lustful lifestyle? Does the church engage in idolatry and literally worship idols? Does the church have witchcraft? There is spiritual wickedness everywhere, especially in religious environments. Do the members get along with one another? What is the preached doctrine in that church on drunkenness? The Bible is clearly stating that anybody that does these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The motivating factor that causes people to act bad is the carnal nature. These clearly are not led by the Spirit of God. But conversely, look for the attributes of God there. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These attributes will be in abundance in a church where the Spirit of God is present. And we're not calling out any particular denomination here. You can look around for yourself. Do the research before you ever open the doors to a church. Look online at their social media and their website. There's a bunch of evidence available in the songs, videos, pictures, and messages that are posted online. We'll talk about this a bit later as well. What's the benefit of baptism by the Holy Ghost? When should I be sanctified? Well, if the rushing wind and tongue of fire only happened in the very first instance, how have we been able to tell that it happened since then? Look, clearly people are born with an animal nature that just needs to not be restrained, but really completely eradicated. And there's a ton of scriptural and life evidence for this. The point about sanctification is that no amount of yoga or meditation is going to completely remove the impulse to fight back, yell, scream, or act like a two-year-old. The only way for that kind of help is a divine action from God. Just like salvation was a divine act to forgive sins, we all are at a different place in our spiritual walk with God. The Bible explains that it isn't all exactly the same for everyone. Some scriptures mention laying on of hands or some physical contacts between the pastor or evangelist and the believer. Some mention prayer to God. Some accounts show the spirit filling someone on its own. The two important criteria are the condition of the heart and the will of the person. Are you completely saved, having all sins forgiven, and ready to completely give over your life to God? A living sacrifice. Everything, your career, health, family, money, possessions, all of it. That's the difference from salvation. Salvation, as we mentioned in session one, contains repentance or a turning away from sin and godly sorrow for doing something against our conscience. We repent, confess our sins to God, and when we really mean it, God is faithful to forgive. Can you be sanctified right at that time? We're all different, and it's between you and God. Some people are ready to turn it all over sooner than others. God is the judge of when you are ready, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost is in God's control. It's a little different than water baptism, where the pastor or evangelist dunks you in the water. This is God's doing, and God determines the time and the method. Some people mention it's a very emotional thing, 
and others not so much. Our spiritual life is a life of faith and a strong personal relationship with God. A product of having God's presence inside of you is that you are going to become useful as a tool in God's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 12, 8-11 For to one is given by spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. These gifts of the spirit are beneficial to help the work of God. Gifts or talents from God need to be put to use as God directs and not misused by the recipient. Just a quick note here, there's not one single recorded instance in the Bible where the gift of tongues was used for anything but preaching the gospel or helping someone learn about and attain a relationship with God. The Bible does not record a completely new language given as a result of sanctification, and it's always given to help encourage and teach the audience. The Bible term for that is to edify or to build up. Well, with that, we'll wrap up this podcast. We're not quite done, but we need to keep this into bite-sized increments. It's really been a pleasure, and we trust that you found the discussion both challenging and encouraging. Your feedback, discussion, questions, and comments are all welcome. If you have a biblical topic that you might want to discuss, or a prayer request, or just need someone to talk to, please email us at biblestudy at avondalecog.org or visit us at www.csinning.com and we'll be quick to pray for you, reach out to you with encouraging words, or even get in touch with you depending on your specific situation. As always, thank you for listening and have a great day. We'll see you next time here at The Higher Calling.